John, who wrote this letter and wrote uh, uh, one of the, the four Gospels, the sort of biographies, if you like, of, of Jesus, uh, people often think of him as uh, a loving, gentle character, a, a kind of kind one. And yet you read this uh, opening uh, section and you realise there's more steel in him than some of those words imply, don't you? Uh, you know, when he says, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. Don't live out the truth. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I mean, he's got the knives out for someone, hasn't he? And uh, it's fairly clear that the someone isn't some make-believe character, a straw man he just puts up. uh, uh, They're real people. And they're not if I can use his name, the sort of Richard Dawkinses of this world, you know, the archetypal sort of uh, atheist. This is spiritual language he's using. Super spiritual language in the words of verse 8. Well, if you claim to be without sin, you know you've got above uh, that kind of thing. And he's taking them on. And he's not letting them get away with it. And sometimes when you find people kind of having a go and saying contradictory things to each other, you work out, how do I work out who to believe? Or do I really just say a plague on both your houses and ignore you? Which sounds good for a moment, but actually isn't going to get us anywhere if that's all we ever do, if someone's going to contradict people. So John, as you work through the letter, you discover he's writing to young Christians and they're recovering from a church split. It happens. You know, people have gone out and they're, they're pointing the fingers back at the ones that are left. And he explains why he, John, is the one to listen to. And his reason is all in that opening paragraph. He talks about the, the life appeared there. Uh, come back to the beginning of the letter, you see, to, to that first sentence. That which was from the beginning. Uh, John is claiming to have got his hands on the original, if you like. There is nothing secondhand about this. So what was from the beginning? Well, we know how the whole Bible begins, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And John nicked that line when he wrote his gospel, really. Uh, and uh, uh, he borrowed it as he introduced Jesus. In the beginning, his gospel starts was the Word. And he echoes it again here. Um, not God or the Word or Jesus, but actually, the end of verse 1, the Word of life. And as you read John's letter, it seems at times as if he's speaking of a thing, you know, that which a message, that which we have heard, we proclaimed. And at other times, it's as if he's speaking of a person, someone we've seen and touched, the word of life. Jesus is both the word and the life in John's writing. So he writes here as if uh, the message and the person were one. And you can't really divorce the two. As we'll see, the message has the power for life that Jesus has, God has. And here's the truth at the heart of it all. Um, Here's a way, if you like, of describing Christmas. Uh, Verse 2, the life appeared. Something hidden has been revealed. The the God, the Jesus, the life has appeared and it could be, according to verse 1, heard and seen and looked at and touched. God has taken steps to make himself known. He's not distant and remote and out of reach and he's not playing hide and seek. 
I'm going to visit some of my uh, uh, grandchildren at the, the weekend. Uh, the, the oldest is now 10, and I've just sort of noticed, as you kind of play all the usual children's games with them, how, how some of the games sort of slightly change. So um, hide-and-seek for the eldest two or three really is hide-and-seek. They go hiding, and they want you to have to search and search and search and search and preferably not find them. But for the youngest, it's a completely different game. Although the rules are the same, actually it's blatantly obvious where they're hiding, you know, and you go into the room, don't you? It's in the bedroom or something, and you say, oh, are they behind the chair? And there's a giggle from under the duvet. You know, are they in the wardrobe? And you open the doors, there's a louder giggle. From, and the great climax of the game comes when you rip the duvet off and then they you know, just collapse into fits of laughter because what they've really wanted has happened, you've found them. And you have to just sort of work out which age kids you're playing with as to how you play the game, don't you? Um, you know, one is playing hide and seek, the other is playing hide and be found. Now, why is God the Father allowed his son to be examined like some prize exhibit in a museum, heard and seen and looked at and touched. Why? Because he wants to be found. Because he wants his life to be discovered. The life appeared. So it could be heard and seen and looked at and touched. Christmas, if you like, is a bit like a a tiger uh, volunteering for the zoo, swapping freedom for a cage like an adult becoming a baby again, vulnerable and dependent, only uh, at least he has a future. Well, this Christ has a future, but he wasn't just touched, he was mauled and flogged and nailed to a cross. He is the life. And... As the chapter goes on, his his life is there for us. His blood purifies us from all sin. The life appeared. But therefore, if we speak about God as if you can't know him and you have to guess and uh, all we can manage is the way I see it is, what a huge insult that is to a God who's gone to those lengths to reveal himself. I sent this kind of message. The life appeared. There's hope for the confused. God once sent a very clear message. Uh, We weren't there at the time, but if only someone had been and had left a reliable record, then we might know how to be in relationship with God. We, We might be able to clear up the muddle over who is in relationship with him and who isn't. Which brings us to the other fact staring us in the face in this paragraph. The life appeared and the words proclaimed which is where it's heading. Though John begins with those who do the proclaiming. You notice the we and the us scattered throughout the paragraph. They, they form something of an exclusive club. They were there, is what he's saying. They were eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, so that we could see and understand. We could take in the meaning. Do you remember John in his gospel writing about Easter Sunday and and he and Peter raced to the tomb when the women reported empty? And John wins the race and records that, you know, he reached the tomb first. 
Uh, and when Peter's sort of puffing and panting, you imagine, uh, gets there, while John is hovering at the entrance, Peter just goes straight in. Um, and finally, John tells us, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he repeats it, don't ever underestimate male competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, he also went inside and he saw and believed. He saw and could make sense of it all. And that's the sense here of we've looked at and our hands have touched. The, the word's got the sense of more than just touched and then pulled away again. It's it sort of, you know that thing when you fumble for something in the dark and you examine it by touch? The, the blind person feeling the shape and the texture of an object? Well, that's what we proclaim concerning the word of life. These people know what they're talking about. Uh, the message is one of those Bible translations which isn't really word-for-word uh, word accurate but kind of gives you the feel and the flow of the passage. Here's how it puts these uh, opening section. We were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. And now we're telling you. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing John's saying at the beginning here. Uh, the we is the ones who were eyewitnesses. And so John at the outset of his letter writes as one of those, speaking with the knowledge, as a taxi driver might put it, the knowledge of an eyewitness. I mean, no one today could write this opening paragraph. Uh, but I go on about it because a recent survey of what we think about Jesus reveals that 22% of people, 25% if you're 18 to 34, think Jesus was a mythical or fictional character. Do you think they realise we've got evidence from those who heard, saw, looked at, touched the real live historical Jesus? I know we sometimes say, well, if I could have seen it myself, then I might. But we don't actually do that with the rest of history or the rest of life. I mean, I know I'm old, but I never saw World War I. I never saw World War II, actually. I'm very happy not to have experienced them and I don't need to have experienced them to have believed they happened. We've got plenty of eyewitness accounts to go on and we've got them for Jesus too. See, John writes as part of the eyewitness expert group, the we at the heart of this paragraph, but the, the life they've witnessed isn't restricted to them. It is passed on to the other group mentioned here, the you, the readers, any readers. This we proclaim, he says, concerning the word of life. And we proclaim this to, to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim, verse 3, to you what we've seen and heard. See, if there's confusion about God and about Jesus' life, these are the people I want to make sure I'm listening to. I want to make sure uh, I uh, am not just in touch with them, but in tune with the eyewitness experts and what they've got to say. The life appeared, they saw it. Uh, the word proclaimed, and they're the ones in the position to tell of him. Another important step to notice, what I've called the joy complete. That, that's how the opening paragraph ends, isn't it? Verse four. We write this to make our joy complete. And what John is saying here is that joy isn't complete with his experience of Jesus, wonderful though that was. Uh, 
And it's not complete with proclaiming Jesus either, uh, as if the message delivered, you know, the signature obtained. I got one of those parcels this morning and they give you the machine, you know, sign for it here. Uh, okay, it's delivered, job done. It is for the deliverer, but, but not for John. He wants more than just to have delivered the message. He, uh, he says the joy is complete when this life is yours as well as ours. You see, back in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, and I would have finished the sentence so that you may have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. Which is where John is heading, but he goes a long way around to get there. It's not how he puts it. He wants to emphasize the route we take to get there, and it's, it's both striking and vital to see it. So, so look, look back at verse 3 again. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We're passing on the message, John writes, so that you come into relationship with us. And if you do that, you come into the circle which is in relationship with God Himself, the Father and the Son, the fellowship the Spirit provides. Now, I can stand apart from John and his apostles I can, uh, uh, you know, if I want to, I can say something different and you can join us over here, but you'll find we're not actually in relationship with the Father and the Son if we do that. These are the ones who can speak with confidence and actually who can speak to give us confidence. For as we see their reliability, so it means the great claims that are made are are secure for us. The love they speak of is genuine. And in the rest of uh, chapter 1, you see uh, at the end of verse 7, you know, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. Or verse 9. If we claim to, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Uh, And we say, just a moment, just and forgive, how do they go together? Well, the sins, my sins have been punished once in Jesus. He won't punish the same sins twice. So, He is faithful and just. That means he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or or chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you won't sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one, someone who's pleading our case in the heavenly throne room. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is a message for anyone and everyone. See, I don't have to be super spiritual and beyond sin to have confidence with God. I don't have to be perfect and without sin to be in relationship with God. If I had to be either of those things, my confidence would evaporate very swiftly. So would yours. I just have to be in relationship with Jesus. 
to hold to him, to confess my sins and come clean, to know him as the advocate who will stand before the Father when the charge sheet uh, against me is read out and uh, uh, all of it is true and say, Father, I've died for Hugh Palmer. His sins are paid for. All too good to be true? No, no, says John. The life appeared in the flesh. We've seen it, we've heard it. We know this is the right message. And the life that appeared is the love that appeared in the flesh. This confidence is for real. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for those who were there and as eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to the life, to the Jesus who appeared. May the confidence they share be the confidence we enjoy. May the fellowship they have with Almighty God himself be the fellowship we enjoy. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.